Brothers and sisters, you will open and we begin by praising Allah Azza wa Jal for all praises due to Him. And we ask that Allah sends His blessings and salutations to the best of creations, Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and to His noble family and companions and those who follow their true path. Um, we begin by thanking Allah Azza wa Jal for allowing us to gather tonight in this blessed night. This is one of the months of the month of Sha'ban. And Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned in one hadith about the merits of the virtues of the month of Sha'ban. Where he Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that the month of Sha'ban is the month that is often neglected by people. It is sandwiched between two big months, two great months. The first before Sha'ban is the month of Rajab, one of the uh, Ashurul Hurum, one of the sacred months in Islam. You've got, you've got four sacred months, and in those sacred months, that you, every ibadat that you do, the rewards will be multiplied. And then after Rajab comes Sha'ban, after Sha'ban is Ramadan. And we all know the greatness of Ramadan, and that is why we are here tonight. So Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that most people would do ibadat in the month of Rajab, and they would do ibadat on the, in the month of Ramadan, but they ignore the month of Sha'ban. And he Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Allah loves it when His servants do extra deeds when people are in the state of forgetfulness. When everybody else forget about Allah and, his, Allah and Ibadat, those people, those few people that actually choose to dedicate that month, pick up, carve up time to worship Allah, those people are close to Allah Azza wa Jal. And Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said he, the, the best deeds for us to do in Sha'ban is fasting. For he Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that um, in the month of Sha'ban is the month where our deeds are presented to Allah and he loves that our, his deeds be presented while he is in the state of fasting. So while we're still in the month of Sha'ban before we head into Ramadan, uh, apart from using this time to fast as a warm-up, as training to get to Ramadan, it is also important that we fast so that when, when our deeds get presented to Allah Azza wa Jal, it's being presented in the state of fasting. Now, I'm going to divide my talk basically into three parts. The first part is why Ramadan? What is, what is the significance of Ramadan? And then the second part is why fasting? And the third part is what are the lessons from this to Ramadan and fasting? So first of all, why Ramadan? To understand the significance of Ramadan, I think um, we have to go back a month before Ramadan, which is the month of Sha'ban. And Ramadan, the ayah that our Qari read, read just now beautifully at the opening, um, was, is that is part of the second juice of the Qur'an in, the, in Surah Al-Baqarah. Surah Al-Baqarah, one of the earliest surah that was revealed in Medina. So as soon as Rasulullah migrated to Medina, one of the earliest surah, first surah revealed was Baqarah. Not in entirety, bits and pieces here and there, but that's the, the, the uh, ayah that he recited, the ayah concerning fasting was revealed in the second year of Hijrah. In the second year of Hijrah, and before that, something else happened as well. In the second year of Hijrah, apart from legislation of fasting in the month of Sha'ban, so legislation of fasting happened in Ramadan, second Hijrah. But because it happened in Ramadan, that Ramadan, the companions did not fast. Fasting started the following year. But what happened before that month, the Ramadan, Ramadan of the second year of Hijrah, Sha'ban of the second year of Hijrah, something important happened. In that particular month, Allah revealed the ayah at the opening of surah, second use of Surah Al-Baqarah. And that is the ayah concerning the change of Qibla. 
In Sha'ban, the second year of Hijrah, Allah changed the Qibla of the Muslims, the direction that we face when we pray from Jerusalem to Makkah. All the way before this, all the while before the change of Qibla, the Muslims were viewed as part of the a continuation of the Sharia of Musa alayhi salam. We were part of, we, we belong to the Ummah of Musa alayhi salam. Musa all the way until Isa, you have multiple prophets and messengers coming, but all of them are practicing the same Sharia, the Sharia of Musa alayhi salam. And Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when he, the early stages of his da'wah, in absence of direct revelation, he would default to the Sharia of Musa alayhi salam. If there is nothing in the Quran that says we have to do this or that, then the default state is, let's look at what the, the, the Jews are practicing. Because we are viewed as one nation. So much so that Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when he came to the way he combed his hair, he combed his hair in the fashion of the Jewish rabbi in Medina. The Jewish rabbi in Medina, they had a, 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 one, a, a similar way. All of them combed their hair in a similar fashion. They all combed their hair straight to the back. And there's no parting anywhere. And Rasul followed that tradition. In the second year, now after a year of da'wah, trying to um, uh, pass the message to the Jewish community in Medina after many resistance, um, rejection from the Jewish community, Allah revealed the eye of the change of Qibla. Now Allah said that the group, a group of idiots would come and complain, what kind of religion is this that they change their Qibla? One day they're facing one direction, another day they're facing another direction. And Allah said that the reason why he changed this Qibla, one of the reasons, there are two reasons that's mentioned in the series of ayat at the beginning of the second Jews. But the first reason, Allah says, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطًا This is how we have made you into an ummah of wasata, an ummah that is wasata. We'll describe the definition, we'll define wasata shortly later. But what it means in this ayah, with the revelation of this ayah, the Muslims are no longer part of the nation of the Ummah of Musa alayhi salam. We are now an independent Ummah. The switch of the Qibla from Jerusalem to Makkah signifies a change of spiritual capital. Now our spiritual capital is no longer Jerusalem. We are not part of the tradition anymore, not, one, not part of that nation. We are now a new nation and our spiritual capital is in Makkah. So, Ummatan Wasata, translated generally as the middle nation. Um, but it's not necessarily the middle in terms of a geographic location or chronological order. Because we know that Ummah of Muhammad وسلم, is the last Ummah, the final Ummah. But how is it that Quran describes us as the middle nation? In Arabic, Wasat doesn't necessarily mean physically center. It can mean the best. When you see the usage of the word Wastul Balad, the city center, it doesn't necessarily need to be geographically in the center of the country. It is just the most important part of the country, it is called the city center. Wasat also refers to when you've got um, jewelry, you've got the most important gem in the middle and less important gems, smaller or cheaper gems surrounding it. So the best nation can also be a definition for Ummatan Wasata. 
But apart from that, we are truly the middle nation. We are a nation of, uh, that is balanced between ritual and spirituality. You look into the nations before us from our perspective, and the Quranic, Quran, Quranic ayat is clear about that, that the Jewish tradition are mainly very ritualistic. Their scholars are known as ahbar, people of the ink, because there's so much laws and fiqh in their tradition. There's so much knowledge within the tradition. They're known as the people of the fiqh. And you look at the Christian tradition, they're very spiritual. But there is no halal or haram. It's all about love, about divine connection, about being about, about this feeling and very romantic aspect of religion. Another aspect is very dry and ritual. And Islam is somewhere in between. This nation, Allah is, Allah is saying, Ummatan wasata, we should not be too heavy on one side or too heavy on the other side. Our rituals must also be spiritual. We are the middle path. So that is with this change of Qibla, Allah is saying that you're now a new nation. A new nation needs a new capital. So our capital is now Makkah. And to, to commemorate this new nation, we have a national, not a national day, but a national month. Which date should be our national month? Allah then a few, uh, few pages later in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah mentioned that this national month that we celebrate, the, our identity, our new identity as a new ummah, Allah says that this is going to be the month of Ramadan. Why? Allah says, Shahru Ramadan alladhi unzila fihi al-Qur'an. Because the month of Ramadan is the month where the Qur'an was revealed. So the idea behind Ramadan, and the only time that Allah mentioned the word Ramadan in the Qur'an is in this ayah. The thing about us is that when we talk about Ramadan, the first thing that comes to mind is fasting, no food. No coffee in the morning. You know, those things are usually the first things that come to mind. But when Allah mentioned Ramadan in the Quran, the only time the Quran, Ramadan is mentioned, Allah immediately connects Ramadan to the Quran. Allah says, Shahru Ramadan alladhi unzila fihil Quran. This month, yes, it is a month of fasting, but most importantly, Allah wants us to identify Ramadan and Quran. Why is Ramadan great? Because it's linked to the Quran. And in the eyes of Allah Azza wa Jal, everything that is linked to the Quran, becomes on it. The highest angels, the leader of the angels is Jibreel alayhi salam. Why is he the, the, the highest angels, the leader of the angels? He managed the transmission of the Quran. And he's not alone, he's got his team. The Quran tells us that he has he's got his team. Who is his team? The Quran mentions the, 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 the job scope as, the department as, Safaratul Kiram al Barara. Safaratul Kiram al Barara are the group of angels that manage the transmission of the Quran. And Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Al-Mahiru bil-Qur'an ma'a safaratul kiram al-Barara. The one that is an expert in the Qur'an, he is with the highest angels. And the highest angels are the safaratul kiram al-Barara. Those who manage the tran transmission of the Qur'an from, from, from Luh Mahfuz to the um, Sama'u Dunya, to the, heaven, the lowest heaven, to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. All these angels that are linked to the Qur'an are honored in the eyes of Allah. Our Prophet, Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he is Sayyidul Anbiya wal Mursaleen, the leader of messengers and prophets. Among the reasons, he is the Hamim al-Quran, the one that receives the revelation of the Quran. In the eyes of Allah, anything that is connected to the Quran becomes on it. It becomes elevated. So Ramadan is not great because of its month. It is great because it is linked to the Quran. So for us to make sure that the, our Ramadan is the best Ramadan, we make the most of Ramadan, check our Quran recitation, our relationship with the Quran. 
And what do we need to do with the Quran? I know that most people would read the Quran, make khatam of the Quran, they would you know, uh, try and do at least one, one khatam of the Quran. At least if they can't do it by, the, by themselves, they would stand behind an imam who would recite the entire Quran in, in, in Ramadan. Alhamdulillah, that is a great effort. That is great. But when you look what Allah mentions about the Quran, the first thing Allah mentions in the Quran is hudan lil muttaqin, hudan lil nas, hudan lil muhsinin. It's all hudan. It's all guidance. The name Quran, the name Quran is uh, hyperbole, sirah mubalagha from the word reading. So Quran means something that is read often. So yes, you need to read the Quran often. But it is not just that. It is also guidance. Now, how many of us actually speak classical 7th century Arabic? I think nobody. We need assistance to understand the Quran. Because if we don't understand the Quran, how then can we be guided by the Quran? Allah mentioned in, in, in Surah Al-Baqarah again, a lot of about, about what we're going to discuss today contains in Surah Al-Baqarah, in the second juice, uh, end of first juice, early second juice. Allah mentioned about the Quran and the mission of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Allah says, "Kama arsalna fiikum rasulan minkum yatlu alaykum ayatina yatlu alaykum ayatina wa yuzakkikum wa yu'allimukum al-kitab wal-hikma." So there are four things that Allah said that the Prophet should do. The mission of the Prophet. These are the four mission of the Prophet. All of the mission relates to the Quran. So what we understand from this four mission are the things is, is our relationship with the Quran. We need to have four, at least four levels of relationship with the Quran. So the first one Allah says, Yatlu alaykum ayatina to recite to you our ayat. So we need to we need to recite the Quran. Recite the Quran. When I mention when I say recite the Quran, reciting the Quran can only be in Arabic. There is no other language for the Quran but Arabic. Everything else is a translation. Because when you translate anything, if anybody who knows anything about language, when you translate something from one language to another, you lose a lot of its meaning. Especially if it's good literature. If you've read, you know, the, I'm not sure how many of you have read Romeo and Juliet in Indonesian language. You know, you lose. Have you also have you read in Indonesian, lang Indonesian language? <laughs> it loses 90% of its beauty. You go like, what is this about? If you read it in Basin Indonesia, all you get at the end of the day, the day is some dude killed himself because he saw his girlfriend thinking that his girlfriend died and the girlfriend then, then killed kill herself because waking up from her sleep saw that his, girl, his boyfriend is, her boyfriend has died. That's all that you get. You lose everything else. So with the Quran, Allah says the first thing we should do is reciting the Quran. This is not understanding. This is just learning how to recite like how it is being revealed. The thing with Muslims is that 85% of Muslims are not Arabs. So pronouncing the alphabets will be a challenge. But Rasul when I mentioned the hadith about experts in the Quran, Rasul said the experts in the Quran are with the highest angels, the angels that handle the transmission of the Quran. But he continued, he said, but those some people, those who struggle, those who stutter in reciting the Quran, and he وسلم, said, Falahu ajran. You get double the reward. The reward for reading the Quran and reward for struggling to read the Quran. So while you're trying to learn how to read Quran in Arabic, you're learning 
The first struggle will be how to pronounce the alphabets. You've got Ain, you've got Dad, you've got Ha. That's so difficult to pronounce. Those struggles are rewarded by Allah Azza wa Jalla. You get double the rewards opposed to those who do not who, who do not struggle. But that doesn't mean that you should you know put in half effort when you in your Quran class and your Ustad ask you why are you putting half effort. Said because I don't I never want to get proficient. I just want to get that double reward all all my life. No no because you want to upgrade yourself from double reward to being with the highest angels. But while you're struggling, you get double the reward. So that's learning how to recite the Quran. You have your tajweed, your makhraj, and then later on you learn the waqaf, where to stop, where to continue. If you, if you have an emergency, we stop in, in reciting the Quran. Second that you need to do according to that ayah is to purify yourself by reading the Quran. Now purifying your heart, purifying your soul through reading the Quran comes through repeating it often with discipline. Making Quran part of your daily wirid or daily practice. A few months ago when I was here, I can't remember when was the last time with my wife, I think I got a question about what kind of spiritual practice that one should do if you want to traverse the spiritual path. There is nothing more important, there is no greater dhikr than the dhikr of the Quran. Make Quran reading as your daily habit. It can be half a page, it can be three lines, it can be a page, but be consistent every single day with your Quran reading. That is how you get your purification. It does, when, when it comes to any spiritual practices, any wirid, wirid is something that you do consistently. You see the result when you do it consistently. It's not, you can't read the Quran to 20 pages, one juice today, and do not read it for the next 20 days and then get back to the Quran read another 20 pages. It is better that you read one page a day, every day, then you read a lot and you leave it for a long period of time without reading the Quran. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said this hadith is narrated to us by Sayyidatuna Aisha that the deed that is most beloved to Allah Azza wa Jal is ma adwa muha wa in qalla. What is consistent even if it's small, if it's, even if, if it's just a little. So with your Quran, have a target and be consistent with it. In the month of Ramadan, some of us may want to do that target to be um, a juice, 20 pages. Or if you're not there, maybe half a juice, maybe a page. But whatever number, this is between you and Allah. It's not a race between me and Ali Chaudhry. Sorry, he's left. It's not a race between me and him or anybody else. It's just me and myself. A number that I am going to commit and I am going to make sure that I read it every single day, Ramadan or not, not in Ramadan. Ramadan, we increase it a little, bit, a little bit more. But outside of Ramadan, we have to be consistent every single day. So this is how you purify your soul with the Quran. The next stage, Rasulullah Allah mentioned the mission of Prophet Muhammad is kitab To teach you the book. Now teaching involves understanding. When you learn something, you have to understand. This is where reading, reciting Quran alone is no longer enough. You need to understand what you are reading. Now understanding what you are reading, I don't expect or I'm not telling you to quit whatever that you're doing now. Go and enroll into an Arabic program and six months later become proficient in Arabic. No, that's not what is expected of us. But what is at the very least that we can do? Set aside some time to read the Quran in Arabic and read its translation. 
So just now, if your target is to read half a page a day or a page a day, once you've done with that one page, read the translation so that at least you understand what you are reading. If you do this every single day, after a few years, you will pick up some uh, vocabulary. You will notice like, hang on, I think ja'ala here means made. I think this means here. You start connecting the dots and then you see this, you, you start to taste the sweetness of reading Quran because now you can see, you can connect dots, you have a general understanding of what you are reading. So if you are reading a juice a day, drop that juice, maybe go half a juice and spend the balanced time that now you have freed to read Quran. To read the translation, sorry. If you are reading a page a day, drop it to half a page. Use that extra time to read the translation of what you have recited. It is better if you have a group of friends, someone you assign someone, you read this tafsir, you read this tafsir. There are many tafsir that has been translated into English. There is also a tafsir done by the study of Quran. I can't remember the, the author, Dr. Sayyid Hussein Nasir. So, it's, it's called the study of Quran. Um, it, that's a really good tafsir in the English language. Um, it's available on Amazon. It's also, if you read ebooks, there's also a Kindle version for it. But read that and study the meaning of what you are reciting. Of course, the best is to find a teacher to do weekly study, Quran study. But, you know, if you don't, there's an Arabic saying, If you cannot get everything, you don't throw away everything. Do whatever little that we can. So understanding the Quran. And then finally, Allah says, وَيُعَلِّمُكُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ The wisdom of the Qur'an. You gain the wisdom of the Qur'an for, from putting what you have learned just now, the lessons you have learned from reading the Qur'an into practice. Alright, so this is just a basic. We haven't entered into what to do in Ramadan. This is just preparation for Ramadan, your discipline with the Qur'an. This is very, very important as we head into Ramadan. Drop everything else. In fact, uh, if you're reading any other books, Drop all those books just for the month of Ramadan. Focus on Quran and everything related to the Quran. If you are following any series, either finish it before Ramadan or make sure that just check that it's still available on Netflix after Ramadan so that you don't miss it. If you, if you are a DC comic fan, make sure you watch Justice League, Zack Snyder before Ramadan because it's four hours. So finish that before Ramadan. During Ramadan, focus only in the Quran. So... Part of preparation for Ramadan may be a bit different from everybody else apart from your Quran and spiritual things. Let's settle all our worldly attachments before we head into the month of Ramadan. So we can focus with just the Quran in the month of Ramadan. In fact, when I was in Egypt, a lot of the shuyukh stopped teaching in the month of Ramadan. Because they said, this is the month where we also want to get back to the Quran. My teachers will stop teaching. In fact, when I first arrived, I thought Ramadan was a good time to start my, my lessons. Parents, I was surprised. Like, nope, nobody's teaching. We are all also going to, going to go back to our uh, Quran. So the, that is, the greatness of Ramadan is Quran. Why fasting? Why do we fast in Ramadan? Allah says, Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu kutiba alaykum al-siyam kama kutiba ala ladhina min qablikum la'allakum tattaqoon. Allah says that, oh believers, fasting has been prescribed on you as it has been prescribed by the people before you so that you may have taqwa. We learn that from this ayah, we are not the first people that fast in Ramadan. People before us have 
fasted. And when we look into Prophet Musa alayhi salam, Prophet Musa alayhi salam, he received a book called the Torah. And he was invited by Allah azza wa jal to go to Tur Sinai, Mount Tur, and to uh, Mount Sinai to fast for 40 days and do ibadat for 40 nights. And after completing that spiritual practice, 40 days fasting, 40 nights of worship, he received the Torah. We look into the Christian tradition, we know that Prophet Isa, this is not mentioned anywhere in the Quran, but we look into the Bible, we know that Prophet Isa fasted a certain number of days at uh, Mount Olive. The same practice, fast in the day, worship at night, and then Allah gave him Injil. Injil. And we look at Prophet Muhammad وسلم, before Islam, every Ramadan he would spend his time at Mount Hira, at Cave Hira, Mount Nur, Jabal Nur, in, and he would do his seclusion at Mount, uh, at Cave Hira. He would fast in the day and he would worship at night. And then after years of doing that practice, Allah gave him the Quran. We see this trend of prophets fasting in the day, worshipping at night, receiving revelation. Don't worry, you will not receive revelation in Ramadan. You know, if you fast in the day, you worship at night, Jibreel comes to you, you need to see a psychologist, maybe a psychiatrist. But what we learn from all these prophets is that when you fast, it sharpens your spiritual sense that you can appreciate the words of Allah better. How is that so? Now, we look at our makeup. This is something that Imam al-Ghazali mentioned, that when you look at the, the, the makeup of a human psyche, we've got our spiritual self, uh, sorry, we've got our physical self, and this physical self, we feed it with food, water, and everything, and, and uh, nourishment, we nourish it physically. And within ourself, this physical self, there is our lower self, or what we generally call the nafs. Now, the nafs, has three levels. You've got Nafsul Ammara, the evil one, Nafsul Lawama, the blameworthy self, and then you've got Nafsul Mutma'inna, the calm self. What's the difference between these three different selves? The first, lowest kind of self is the kind of self that does evil things and is happy to do evil things. You know, you have Fir'aun, an example in the Quran, he tell, tells people to, he, he, not only that he refused to worship Allah, he calls people, فَحَشَرَ فَنَادَى He calls, invite people to come, فَقَالَ أَنَا رَبُّكُمُ الْأَعْلَى And he told those people, I am God Most High. So not only did he not worship Allah, he refused to believe in Tawheed, he is proud of his disobedience towards Allah Azza wa Jal. That is the pinnacle of Nafsul Ammara. You do evil and you are happy and you are proud about being evil. The second level of nafs, nafsul lawama, is this blameworthy self. What is a blameworthy self? A blameworthy self is the kind of self that you do bad things and you feel bad after that. You know, sometimes you speak rudely to your mom, and then you, after that you feel bad about it. Like, I shouldn't have done that. But at that point of time, you did it anyway, because you, you, your nafs is at this lawama level. And then you've got nafsul mutma'inna, the kind of nafs that is happy to obey Allah. Where Allah says, Allah is happy with those kind of people and they are happy with Allah. So you've got those three levels of self. Now, the thing with the self, it is not by nature evil because it, it, it is what that gives us pleasure in this world, material pleasure. 
without the nafs you don't eat you don't uh, you the human race will just go extinct because people will not get married and procreate those things physical needs comes the motivation comes from the self the problem is when the self is not being controlled the self is being let loose to do whatever it wants to do and the self is being advised by shaitan on the opposite side you have your ruh your your spirit and ruh is something mysterious when allah says qulir ruhu min amri rabbi that wama utitu min al-ilmi illa qalila in surah al-isra allah says that ruh the spirit is from the affairs of allah you you know very little about it and this ruh is pure because before we were born we all were gathered and allah asked the ruh alas to be rabbikum am i not your master we all answered yes you are our master bala shahidna so this ruh is pure it wants good things this ruh is what connects us to the divine connects us to allah but the ruh and the nafs is at opposite ends when the nafs is strong the ruh will become weak when the ruh is strong the nafs will become weak now nafs is our animalistic existence we same like the same like every other animals one enjoyment the ruh is our angelic existence and the battleground is our heart the heart is what the both ruh and nafs wants to conquer now the thing with the, like i said earlier that if the nafs is strong the ruh is weak every year 11 months of the year we feed mainly our nafs we don't there's no control in terms of our food um, i think uh, we've i've had this discussion with brother ernie before about how we live now in an age of abundance the first generation to live in an age of abundance the first generation that do not understand the meaning of hunger we think we're hungry just because we skip lunch just because we skip breakfast we think that that is we skip breakfast and lunch that is a, that is famished but that is actually just an empty stomach we're not used to having an empty stomach we think that when the stomach is empty we are hungry so we feed our nafs everything that it wants entertainment music everything in terms of movies in terms of food in terms of drinks desserts we feed the nafs every single day and the more we feed the nafs the weaker the ruh becomes so in the month of ramadan when you fast you are we are trying to get this balance we're trying to weaken the nafs by cutting its main supplies not everything just during the during from fajr to maghrib we cut the, the the food and water and a few other things to balance it out to give strength to our ruh when the nafs is weaker the ruh has an opportunity to fight and this is where the quran comes in when your ruh is strengthened you connect to the quran better and this is why we see prophet after prophet fast in the day worship at night revelation fast in the day worship at night revelation because strengthening the ruh gives you better access to the quran fasting allah said the reason for fasting is taqwa for the in the interest of time where was the notice just now in the interest of time i'm just going to define taqwa as being mindful of god because sayyidna ubay ibn ka'ab he was asked by sayyidna umar ibn khattab about the meaning of taqwa ubay ibn ka'ab asked umar with a question he asked umar have you ever walked a thorny path umar said yes i have ubay asked him how did you do it umar said i lift my garment and walk 
carefully, thread carefully, so that my garment don't get snatched by the thorns and I don't step on anything that is sharp. So Ubay said, that is life. That is taqwa. That is going through life mindful of Allah. That every step that you take, you're, that you take, you're careful whether or not this is haram. Will this bring you closer to Allah? Will this bring you further away from Allah? That state of being mindful of Allah is taqwa. Now how does fasting lead you to taqwa? How is it that not eating and not drinking takes, brings about taqwa? Now Imam al-Ghazali mentioned that there are three levels of taqwa. At the bottom level he said that this is the, uh, the, the siyamul awam, the fasting of the general people. Most people will fast at this level and this level of fasting is the level where we only stop eating, drinking and everything that breaks the fast. It's a physical fasting. Although it's a very physical fasting, at the very least, it generates a small amount of taqwa. What is that? What is, the re- what, what is stopping you from eating and drinking privately? You know, you can just lock your room and have a sip of water. You can just, when you're gargling in the toilet for your wudu, just, you know, take some extra and, and drink. Or just keep some extra from suhoor in your room. Nobody knows about it. Lock it and then... Eat it. Oh, vanilla ice cream. Your roommate asks, why do I smell vanilla? No, it's just a new perfume that I'm trying out. You know? <laughs> but what's stopping you? Nobody knows. The only reason why you don't do those things is because Allah. And that is the minimum level of taqwa. If you've done this level, you've achieved level one of taqwa. Some basic level of mindfulness, being aware of Allah Azza wa Jalla. The only power that is stopping you from cheating from fasting, you know, it's amazing that it's hard to cheat while fasting. Try that with every other diet. You know, you try to go uh, low carb a week after that, you know. I'm sorry about low carb. Nah, I'm going to go back to my ice cream. But with fasting, you do it. Why? Allah. The second level of fasting, Imam al-Ghazali said, this is the fasting of the khawas, this, the elect, the khas. So some, of the, some people would not be happy just fasting at level one. Not only they ensure that their fasting is valid, but they also abstain from things that are haram, like backbiting, gossiping, or harming someone, corruption, lying, cheating, everything that is haram, this person will abstain from it. This is the second level of fasting. Now the first level of fasting, you will, you, you will most probably not be rewarded by Allah because Rasulullah said that Allah doesn't have the need from someone who is fasting but doesn't guard his tongue from backbiting. So while your fasting is valid, you don't need to make, make up for your days that you fast and you backbite. But Allah will not reward you for that. The second level of fasting gives you reward from Allah. So the first one is neutral. You don't get, there's no sin. You don't get reward for fasting. The second level gives you a positive. You get rewarded for fasting. No sin for not fasting because you're fasting. Now the third level. The third level is the level of where you fast. Not only your stomach from, with, with, from food and water. But also your, not only your physical body from anything that is haram, but also thoughts and your heart from anything that distracts you from Allah. Now this is the highest level of fasting. Not only 
don't you don't you talk about haram things you also discipline yourself from thinking about haram things because why you've got more things to do you've got quran to read this is why you see our pious predecessors like imam imam shafi imam shafi he does two khatam of the quran in a single day people wonder today how is it even possible for someone to do two khatams of the quran in one day but then i think if imam shafi lives in our time he will also be wondering how is it that people can spend seven hours on facebook every single day it's just different prior priorities to imam shafi the most important thing to read is scripture from allah from god what greater text can there be than text from god almighty himself but for us priorities at least for me priorities is to know what's happening around the world you know if i don't log into facebook i don't open facebook for an hour something might happen somewhere else in the world that i might be of interest to so you see different priorities but our pious predecessors they fill their time in ramadan with quran it's all remembrance of god i'm not saying that we should all stop facebook in the month of ramadan or instagram in the month of ramadan maybe the, this crowd is not the facebook crowd i'm old but the younger crowd maybe instagram tiktok or whatever younger tools uh, uh, that you use I'm not saying that you should not uh, you should log out the real story a friend of mine did that a few years ago in ramadan he said i'm not going to post anything on facebook and he's going to log out of facebook um, i actually get a call from his friend saying is is he all right he's not posted on facebook for a week he said yeah it's just off facebook for ramadan you know so if you're going to do that make sure you have a post saying that i am going to log off social media for a month because of ramadan so that you know your friends are appeased they know you're all right it's not something bad has happened uh, to you but focus distra- from distractions we try and climb from level one from making sure that our fast is valid we get to level two where we abstain from haram things and we get to level 3 where we not only abstain from haram things but we also control our thoughts from thinking haram things today mindfulness is a big industry even at school my daughters they learn about mindfulness as mindfulness time uh, to discipline our thoughts because if you can't discipline your thought your thoughts will become actions so fasting teaches you to fast at three different levels from eating and drinking from abstaining things that are haram and then finally from even thinking things that are haram and things that distract you from Allah azza wa jalla that's a three level of fasting and that gives you the full definition of taqwa that you're constantly mindful thinking connected to the divine connected to Allah azza wa jalla now but what do we do in ramadan should we continue at the same level after ramadan we are not expected to do that even rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam increases ibadat in the month of ramadan which is not the same outside of ramadan it's a special month you're not expected to if you make khatam of the quran twice a day in ramadan you're not expected to go on the same uh, trajectory post ramadan ramadan is like going to the gym you when you go to the gym i know a lot of the youth here the, the the some of them come to qaswa they discuss about how much they bench press or they what do you call that uh, deadlift you know when you go to the gym you, people who go to the gym they don't deadlift 10 kilos why do you deadlift 10 kilos because that's the amount that i carry every day 10 kilo of rice 
you know I'm Malaysian or Indonesian, I keep bringing up. So 10 kilos of rice, you, 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 that's about all you carry, maybe 20 kilos of rice. But when you go to the gym, you deadlift 180 kilos. Where in the world would you lift 180 kilos outside of the gym? But if you are used to carrying 180 kilos in the gym, then 20 kilos outside the gym becomes light. But if you go to the gym, you pay membership, so much money, and then you just go and lift 5 kilos. When you have to lift in real life, you're lifting five, 20 kilos, then it becomes really heavy. So it's the same with Ramadan. You go the extra mile in Ramadan because this is where you go to a boot camp. You are training yourself to prepare yourself for the next 11 months. If you can push your level of Quran, your level of worship, your mindfulness of Allah, your relationship with Allah Azza wa Jal, if you can push it 110%, then post Ramadan you can take it back, back to normal life. But normal life, post Ramadan, first of Shawwal normal life, is going to be better than 30th of Sha'ban before Ramadan. So your pre-Ramadan Quran, let's say now, this is pre-Ramadan, you, you know that you're reading maybe half a page a day. In the month of Ramadan, you go one juice a, a day. So post-Ramadan, don't go back to half a juice. Scale it back maybe to one page. Scale from, two, from, from one juice, 20 pages, to one page. Better than before Ramadan. So next Ramadan, instead of doing one juice a day, now we do one and a half juice a day. After next Ramadan, instead of doing one page, we now do one and a half pages a day. So we increase in Ramadan, we increase our load in Ramadan so that post-Ramadan, when we decrease the load, we're still better than pre-Ramadan. So every year, we use this Ramadan as boot camp to improve our spiritual practices, to increase our spiritual practices so that every single year, our Ramadan becomes better than the previous Ramadan. Alright, I'm going to conclude with just five more minutes, is it? Okay. I'm going to conclude with just what do we exactly need to do in Ramadan. Now, you've got your fasting, you've got your taraweeh, you've mentioned that. Apart from that, set aside time, find friends. This is important because if you're doing it alone, it's easy to give up. Find friends. Those preferably about same level of Quran proficiency because if you have someone who's so good in Quran someone who's just starting then you know you're gonna have conflict same proficiency level and meet every day either on zoom or physically and read Quran together set a target I'm gonna set let's say a juice a day set a target read the Quran together one page each until you finish the entire juice it can be at any amount it can be half of, half a juice it can be whatever amount but one juice a day is easy because you've got 30 juice in the Quran 30 month of Ramadan number one number two pick a book you've got a few books about Quran books that summarizes the entire juice if you're doing one juice a day pick a book summarizing the entire juice read that and discuss it with your with this friends so this is something that we you do with your friends on an individual level have a project and this is something that i've been doing for few years for the past years every ramadan i have a project that i will read certain part of the quran repeatedly and then i would do the tafsir and i will read multiple tafsir about that particular project so two years ago i did surah al-baqarah and I read only Surah Al-Baqarah. In fact, for those of you who joined me in Taraweeh prayers, I only recite Surah Al-Baqarah in Taraweeh for the entire month. So every night, it's very short Taraweeh. What we do is we pray Isha and then we do Tafsir, a few ayat, and only those ayat that we've done Tafsir, we read in, the, in our prayers. 
We repeat the entire month. That year was the year of Al-Baqarah. Last year it was COVID, shorter, a bit shorter ayat, but the, the theme was Surah Al-Kahf. So it was only that. Something that we go in depth, we break it down. What are the lessons? How are these ayat going to change our lives? And that is going to be the project for the year. It's not just in Ramadan. So I list out what are the lessons that I learned from Surah Al-Baqarah. And then this is my project. This is what I'm going to work on myself for the next year. Surah Al-Kahf. These are the lessons. These are what I'm going to work on myself for the next 11 months. In fact, with Surah Al-Kahf, because it was at home, I did it even with my, I did it with my daughters. Even the, the eldest daughter got involved. Like, all right, so this is what we're going to do. This is, these are the things. This, this is our project. So every year, we, every year I attempt with a few friends. We make khatam of the Quran, a quick reading. Make sure that we finish. And then we have a side project where we, do, we go in-depth with just one part of the Quran. It can be just Amma, it can be whatever part that you're comfortable with. Pick one part, read some tafasir, list down the lessons from there. What are the changes that I need to do with my life? Not just in Ramadan, but post-Ramadan until I come back to the next Ramadan. All right, my time is up. Thank you very much for your kind attention. Any mistakes within these talks, I seek your apologies. Assalamu uh, alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Is it okay if I don't I don't start with questions from this list? I go because someone asked me uh, the question just now. I'm going to address it as best as possible. It's a very big question. The question is why. I think if I'm correct to understand, the the, the entire question is why religion. Is God just there out to get you? When you make a mistake, that's it. God is just like someone, you know, looking out to you for you to make mistakes. Ah, there you go. This level of fire. This kind of evil, that kind of level of Jahannam. Now, it's important for us to understand the first manifestation of God that we learn is Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Allah Ar Rahman Ar Rahim. Yes, Allah has other attributes like Al-Muntaqim, the Avenger, Al-Jabbar, the Compiler, Al-Qahar. He has all those because he is a, he, God is perfect. He has all those attributes. But the attributes that he wants us to know most, that we are closest, that he, that is closest to us is Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. And what is Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim? You generally translate that as gracious, merciful. I think it loses a lot of its essence if you just translate it like that. Look at the root word of Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. The word Rahman comes and both Rahman and Rahim comes from the same root word. And Arabic has interesting Arabic words generally comes from three letter root words, triliteral uh, root words. Rahman and Rahim both comes from Raha and Mim. Rahim means the womb of the mother. So the womb of the mother why? And Allah mentioned, and this is one hadith, Allah, hadith Qudsi, Allah says, Shakhaqtu Rahim min ismir Rahman. I carved out the womb from my name, Ar Rahman. Why does Allah relate his name, Ar Rahman, to the womb? Because when you are in your mother's womb, you experience unconditional love. When you are in your mother's tummy, you don't even need to eat, you don't need to drink, you don't need to chew, you don't need to breathe, no toilet. Everything is given by your mother for free through the womb. This kind of unconditional love, you only experience it while you are in your mother's tummy. 
You don't believe me? Try this at home when you go home tonight. If you're living with your parents, try go home. Tomorrow morning, I'm not, you don't wake up from your bed, just shout, Mom, I'm hungry, breakfast. Uh, let's see what your mom does. Right? <laughs> that kind of unconditional love only happens when you're in the mother's womb. You don't even need to sh- shout or scream or do anything. Everything gets served, prepared for you. And what, do you, what, does, what, do you, what did you do in return? Not just you, me too. What did we all do in return? We don't, we don't even say thank you to our mom. We kick our mom. And when you kick your mom, again, don't do this at home. The only time when you can kick your mom is when you are in your mother's womb. When you kick your mom, no anger at all. Mom never says, hey Muhammad, behave yourself. No. She gets excited. She tells everyone. The whole entire village knows that my baby just kicked my tummy. The only time that happens, again, in your, when you are in the womb. That unconditional love, Allah says, now take it to, an, take it to the extreme. Rahman. It's not just Rahim, it's Rahman. That is the relationship that we have with God. God is loving unconditionally. He gives you everything that you need. He doesn't ask anything in return. You don't fast in Ramadan, you still get to eat. It's not like you don't fast in Ramadan, I'm going to cut your ability to swallow food. Allah doesn't do that to you. You don't wake up for, for Fajr, two minutes, no oxygen. You miss two rakat, two minutes, no oxygen. There's no punishment when you disobey Him. God, that is the relationship that Allah wants us to understand between God and His servants. That is the kind of love. Then why does He reveal religion? Because religion is there to guide us. There is a limit to what we can know between right and wrong. Collectively to decide what, what right and wrong is really difficult. Just a generation ago, if you visit South Africa, we all know there's appetite. And it was legal. The majority, not, maybe not majority of people, majority of voters voted for it. So when you leave the foundation of right and wrong to human beings, the nature of human being is to err. We will make blunders here and there. So God in His compassion and mercy gives us basic guidelines. Now religion doesn't cover everything. Religion is not about halal and about haram. You know, the, the, one of the sad things when we, when, when, when we think about religion today, we think about most of the things in religion is Haram. We just had this discussion with our, some of the Qaswa high students. Just had a discussion uh, earlier today with the high school students. That the thing is, most of the things in life is permissible. The principle in Islamic fiqh is Al-Aslu fil Ashia al-Ibaha. The original state of things is permissibility. Everything is permissible unless you can prove that it is haram. So God in His infinite mercy and wisdom reveal guidance for us to tell us certain things are dangerous for us. Stay away from these things. In His infinite wisdom, He knows that certain things are crucial for our existence. He made those things compulsory. So religion is there not as a burden for us. Religion is there to benefit us. Allah says, Taha ma anzalna al-Qur'ana now, we did not send them the Quran as a burden to make to make you to make your life difficult. All right. So I hope that sort of answered your question. It's a big question, but uh, come to Paswa for more answers, maybe. All right. So um, if one hasn't repaid the missed fast for, of last Ramadan uh, due to menstruation by the time of Ramadan, what is the best thing to do? Uh, so if you've missed, now my answer is going to come from my 
background of study. Uh, I am Shafi'i in terms of fiqh. There may be differences of opinion. Take it if you want. Throw it away and ask another sheikh if you want to. So what you need to do if you've missed, you've, you've missed certain days and you haven't made it up and next Ramadan comes, you need to count those days. You need to pay fidya for those days that you have missed and you still, to make, you need, you still need to make it up the following year after Ramadan you still have to make up but now the, it's not just making up it's also make up plus fidya what is the amount of fidya go to MAA there is a link to pay fidya what's MAA's website? Muslim Aid Australia dot dot com yeah, maainternational.com or .com today. Whatever the website is, there is a link. Whatever the current price, recommended current uh, price for uh, fidya. So that's what you need to do. You still have to make up, but you need to pay for your fidya if you've lapsed for one year. Uh, what's TW and CW? Trigger warning. What's CW? All right. TW, I'm struggling with depression. If God forbid I attempted to harm myself, would I suffer from Israel as, and punishment? What's Israel? All right, never mind. I understand. I think if I understand this correction correctly, while you're, if, if you're struggling with depression and you harm yourself, is it punishment in the grave? Israel and punishment in the grave. All right. So now if you're suffering with depression, Allah, uh, Rasulullah said, Rufi'al qalam an thalath. That, that, that the pen of sinfulness, that right sins, is, 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 is uh, uh, lifted from, from three things. Uh, one is when you forget. Second one is it's a mistake. The third one is you are sleeping. So in this case, this is where it falls under nisyan because you don't have control over that incident that whatever that you're doing Allah says if you're forced to do something and you're not excessive in it there is no sin for you so when you're struggling with depression seek help and when I say seeking help with depression it's not seeing a sheikh unless that sheikh is a psychologist shuyukh are trained in a different science if you've got cancer, you don't go see a sheikh, you go see a doctor. You got, you got, you got depression, go see a, a GP, get, uh, uh, and, and from there, from there on, get, get treatment, see a psychology if you need to see a psychiatrist, but get help with your um, depression. There is this massive problem that uh, we see in our community, is that people tend to think that depression is a sign of weak iman so to solve depression we read more uh, quran there is depression there is clinical depression when we're talking about just depression that we use on a daily language just because your cat died on that day and you're sad that's depression but when you are clinically depressed how do you know that you're clinically depressed you lose appetite for living for two weeks i think that's two weeks i'll check but I think it's two weeks. I'm married to a psychologist, so this is why all this is, these things are coming. Um, uh, people come to me and ask for, you're depressed, not me. You got the wrong, same house, just wrong number. It's wrong side of the bed, you know? <laughs> so if you're depressed, get help, uh, clinical help. 
Before Ramadan commences, what are the best recommendations for purification of the soul that we can order and we can do in order to maximize fasting and worship? Uh, Rasulullah would increase his fasting in the month of Sha'ban, so start doing Sunnah fasting in the month of Sha'ban. If you've not been doing much Quran, so start rehearsing, practicing your um, your Quran, uh, and also, like I said, make sure that you've tied all loose ends of your worldly attractions. If you've got some series that you need to finish if you've got some movies that you need to watch do it now before uh, ramadan comes i'm not saying that if you you have to watch i'm not saying that after this suddenly people go and watch justice league i'm not saying that but if you really want to watch it do it before ramadan because i don't think it's going to be available after ramadan all right and what can a person do to get most out of ramadan if the family environment at home is not helpful and harmful now different people are being tested differently by Allah One of the things about fasting is to train you sabr, patience. And having a difficult family is a test of patience. Now this is different level of test. If you've got an abusive partner, then by all means, this is not the level of patience, this is level of police and for the legal system to intervene. What I'm talking about sometimes if you're new to Islam, your family doesn't support you being a Muslim or you, your family is not practicing Islam they do not support or they tease you with good food it's the month of Ramadan for breakfast your mom who's not a Muslim yet cooks the best breakfast and make sure that it is served at, the, at your door before you leave our homes those kind of challenges patience and kindness that, that is your test you know so your beautiful akhlaq hopefully will thaw the, the, the hearts of those people who are not yet open to um, Islam that if, if it's really harmful spiritually it's not it's not just going to be in Ramadan if you're cordial if you're nice with your family outside of Ramadan only in Ramadan they're not supportive of you then my recommendation is to stick with the family and be as nice as, and kind as possible to them uh, because that is your test from Allah for Ramadan if the entire year it is toxic relationship then something else you might need uh, you, you might need help because then uh, you need to fix because it's not just, it's not just a Ramadan issue it's a family relationship um, issue altogether I'm about to marry soon but I've committed zina in the past many times do I have to disclose to my future husband no you do not have to and guys that is not a question that you should be asking the girl how many times have you done zina oh how many boyfriends have you had before that you slept with? Those kind of questions are off limits. You judge the person as he or she is at that point of time. We all have history. We all have our sins. We, and tawbah erases all those sins. So you, you judge them. You do not need to disclose. And you do not have the right to ask your spouse those kind of questions. Make tawbah. New Muslim here. I'm a trans MTF. What's MTF? Oh, male to female. All right, sorry, I'm old. What rulings do I abide for fasting? Now, fasting rules the same for male and female. But Islam in general, so now I'm talking about general. In general, Islam deals with the gender that you were born with. So whatever the gender that you are born with, if it's prayers, then you pray with the gender that you are born with. Surgery is being done. You do not look like the gender that you are born. Then you 
have a segregated space because you are still the female, the women are still bound by that relationship to the original gender. In this case, male to female. So the women still treats him in terms of aura, in terms of um, segregation of gender, or in, in terms of prayers like the original gender. In the case that he, he or she can't fit into the original gender anymore, have a separate space uh, for this gender. This is a very tricky subject. I'm, ask, I'm answering this in a, the most generic sense. If there are, there, are, there are very special cases within our fiqh history where this general law, this general ruling does not apply. Um, Al-Azhar, for instance, have issued fatwa, I think, back in the seven, late 70s or early 80s, um, even before that. Sub, that, that is very different from this, but specifically addressing one particular case. So this is a case-to-case -case basis, but on a general rule, that is it. But if you think you need further clarification, um, come and see me or send me an email to ask at koswa.house so that I need more details before I can answer you more specifically. Hang on. Why was the question just now? All right. Can you recommend how to divide worldly commitments and focusing on Allah and the Quran during Ramadan? Now, one of the things that we need to understand that Islam doesn't necessarily segregate, so separate between worship and work. Work is a form of worship. As long as you're doing something beneficial to the community, then that work can be an act of worship but in ramadan is generally generally the practice even from the sahaba we see rasul certain days especially the last 10 days he would take time of work to focus on worship if you can do that amazing but not everybody can do that don't feel bad because not all sahaba took time off from work to only be at the masjid to do ibadah to do to, to do i'tikaf it wasn't a practice of all Sahaba. Those who can, good. But the reality is not everybody can do it. So we do as best as we can. Not cutting off work, but cut off time from entertainment. So your work is from 8 to 4, 8 to 5, whatever that time is, that is working hours. Your break hours, you've got that half an hour lunch break. If you take that lunch break, that can be a Quran break. You can make, remember, small habits create a big effect so you've got your prayer time you've got your prayer break instead of just straight away going uh, straight away going back to work after praying maybe read a page of the quran half a page of the quran or two pages depending spend five minutes extra time after or before prayers to read some quran and you've got five minutes here and there you get the entire page uh, you get the entire juice within um, a day so do not Quit your job or do not think that working is not an act of worship. I met some people who actually said that, you know, in Ramadan, I'm not going to work. I'm gonna... So I was like, how do you feed your family members? Those working, working to feed your family members is an act of worship. Husbands feeding family is an act of charity. Wives, if they go to work and they help with the household, that is an act of charity too so work is ibadah 
But the spiritual part of this ibadah khas, this, uh, this specific worship that we do, Quran and Salah, work it around entertainment time. Cut entertainment, don't cut your uh, work hours if you cannot. Does Allah forgive all sins if they are done with regret? One of the most hopeful ayah of the Quran, the Tabi'een says, Arjal ayah fi kitabillah. The most hopeful ayah in the Quran is Allah telling Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Qul ya ibadiyal ladhina asrafu ala anfusihim. Oh my servants that has wronged themselves. That have sinned, sinned against themselves. And Allah is inviting us. Ya asraf. Oh my servants, you have sinned against yourself. Come to me. There's two very similar ayat. Any hafiz any in the Quran here? This. Do not despair from the mercy of Allah. So Allah is saying that you may have sinned, no matter how great your sin is, as long as you turn to God, you make tawbah, Allah will forgive all your sins. Now, there are certain conditions of tawbah. One of the conditions of tawbah is that you must feel this sense of regret. It's, it's, it's a sincere sense of regret. Why did I do that? And you must promise yourself never to repeat the same sin again. And... We will sin again. It's, you know, the way shaitan works is really, you know, shaitan has got millions and thousands of years of experience tricking human, humanity since Adam alayhi salam. So the expert, he's an expert in this department. The way shaitan will come to you is that he'll tell you like, he'll whisper in your heart saying that what's the point of tawbah? You're going to repeat the same sin again tomorrow. Delayed until you come to an age where you know you're not going to sin again. But that's not the idea of tawbah. Tawbah is the feeling of, that feeling of regret and at that point of Tawbah you're asking for forgiveness from Allah you promise yourself you're not going to repeat the same sin again but if you repeat it you repeat the process we are human beings we're going to fall we're going to make mistakes it's alright turn to Allah uh, one, of the def- one of the characteristics of the people of Taqwa is Allah mentioned is وَإِذَا ظَلَمُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ ذَكَرُوا اللَّهِ فَاسْتَغْفَرُوا is that ayah? Yeah. وَإِذَا ظَلَمُوا No, no. ظَلَمُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ ذَكَرُوا اللَّهِ Those who make sins, they turn to, they remember Allah. One of the signs of tawbah. You make sins in Surah Ali Imran. So this ayah, the, the page before is about riba. Then the next page is about tawbah. So Allah, Allah mentioned that if you sin, you'd mention the name of Allah. That is a sign of a person of taqwa. A person of taqwa is not an angel. He at the end of the day is human being. He's a human. So part of being human, sons of Adam, the children of Adam will commit mistakes, sin. And the best of sinners are the one that makes tawbah. They turn to Allah. Is it far to wear a hijab? Alright. Now, yes. All right. I think the way I'm answering is I'm, I'm seeing the number of votes. The more people vote for that question, 
it goes to the top. So I'm just answering it as it's being voted. So that means that, that more people in the community, in the group today, is wanting these questions to be answered. Alright, so, is it far to wear a hijab? Um, the Quran mentioned, alright? The Quran mentioned about hijab. Now the word in the Quran, hijab, means totally different from what we understand about hijab. The, word, the Quranic word for hijab is khimar. And Allah mentioned about khimar in Surah An-Nur. وَلْيَضْرِبْنَ بِخُمُرِهِنَّ عَلَى جُيُوبِهِنَّ And Allah said that and tell the believing women to pull, draw down their khimar. Khimar is the head covering. The head covering that you see now today, like if you see in the Arab men, they wear that head gear. That piece of cloth is the khimar. And it was, and Allah said that tell the believing women wear that khimar and draw the khimar to cover their chest. So this is the Quranic injunction when it comes to khimar. It is farah. On that regard, we do not compromise in its ruling, in its application. Does that make a person out of the fold of Islam for not wearing khimar? Absolutely no. You are still a Muslimah even if you do not wear khimar. The problem happens when you challenge the ruling of khimar. We are all human beings. There are people who sin. No, we all sin. People sin in different ways. Some people miss prayers, some people have problem fasting, some people have problems with backbiting, some people have, prob people have problems with the khimar, the hijab. We all sin in different ways. The ruling is compulsory. We work our way towards being a better Muslimah. That is a personal decision for that Muslimah to make between her and Allah. It is not for the man to go around policing what women wear. What does the Quran tell to the men? Allah says, Tell the believing men, lower their gaze. You see someone dressing inappropriately, your duty is not to go, excuse me, sister, I think you're wearing a no. Your duty is to lower your gaze. And Allah then told, told Prophet Muhammad, and tell the believing women, also, they also should lower their gaze. So lowering the gaze is a duty of both gender. So men out there, you see, you can advise our, your sisters, your wife when you marry, but forcing that is between her and Allah. The ruling is clear, the enforcement is between her and Allah. Right? Okay. Good resource to learn Quran for beginners. If you can already read, I can't recommend. I think the best now is probably Bayina. Nu'man Ali Khan has a very good resource. It's $11 a month, much cheaper than Netflix. I think $5, cheaper, $4 cheaper than Netflix. What will your project be this Ramadan? I'm doing Yuzamma. Um, so. Uh, I'll be doing tafsir of Juz Amma and then we're going to read that in Taraweeh for eight rak'at. Um, and I encourage people who come with the project to memorize the, the, the surahs that we are doing for our study. Worldly commitments, I've done that just now. Do you think the extent to which one can experience khushu in salah is limited by the understanding of Arabic? What does this say about the role of Arabic in uh, Islam? 
Uh, okay, can I please suggest special codes be given for Slido in the future? That's for the organizer. Alright, now, khushu in Salah is limited by the understanding of Arabic. Not necessarily. You need to have at least some basic understanding of what you are reciting in prayer. You know Al-Fatiha, you, know uh, you know what you're reciting, the Tasbih in Ruku, everything. You at least must know that meaning. But khushu' is the state of the heart. It's this relationship that you have with Allah. And how do you work on khushu'? This is all lengthy discussion about how to get khushu'. Uh, by the way, Qaswa teaches, this is what we're doing with our students tomorrow about khushu' in prayer. Um, I don't think I can answer this within this few minutes. Uh, maybe some, maybe Maiwa can do a workshop about salah and khushu' in prayers, the steps together. If you miss prayer, can you make it up from for it when you can? If you miss prayer, accident, accidental missing missing of prayer, make it up immediately when you notice it. So if you wake up for fajr late, you wake up, it's already sunrise. That is your fajr time. Immediately pray fajr. It's the same with any other prayer. Do it immediately as soon as you realize that you have missed prayer. Can you hold the Quran if you are not? Praying, or you're in, if you are in menstruation, you cannot hold the mushaf, but you can hold something, you can hold the tafsir. So as long as it's a tafsir where the non-Quranic verses are more than the Quranic verses, then you can hold it when you are in the state of uh, menstruation. Can you explain the light of Laylatul Qadr? Laylatul Qadr, Surah Al-Qadr. Laylatul Qadr is the night of power. It means it refers to a night greater than a thousand months. And an ibadah done at that night is multiplied by uh, that number. You have a lot of angels coming on that night, including Jibreel. Since the uh, death of Prophet Muhammad wasallam, Jibreel only visits earth once a year, and that is Laylatul um, Qadr. Is it better to have heavier meal during suhoor or when you break your fast? This is something that you might need to ask your nutritionist. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> Do you need to have wudu to hold the Quran? The majority of uh, position is yes, you need to have wudu to hold a mushaf. That means the Quran, the, 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 a book where it contains mainly Quran. Tafsir, the, it is agreed upon by all scholars, you don't need wudu. But with Mus'haf, the Jumhur, the majority opinion is that you need to have wudu. What is the argument? Allah mentioned, لَا يَمَسُهُ إِلَّا الْمُطَهَّرُونَ No one should touch the Qur'an except for those who are purified. And then another, there's a hadith that Prophet mentioned, وسلم, he mentioned that لَا يَمَسُهُ الْقُرْآنِ إِلَّا الطَّاهِرُ No one should touch the Qur'an except for uh, the one that is pure. So the Jumhur position is that you need wudu to hold the Qur'an. I'm doing everything to get better with Allah. However, I still feel unhappiness and depression. Does this mean I'm being punished? No. Feeling sadness, feeling depressed is not a sign that God is unhappy with you. Um, the, 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 the whole purpose of our existence, the whole purpose of life, Allah mentioned in the Quran, He is the one that created death and life to test you to see who among you has the best deeds. So each one of us are given unique tests. You and I, we are tested very differently. So that is why it's very important for us not to judge people. Maybe certain people 
are seen better Muslim from the outset they're better Muslim because they are given all the advantages in life they grew up in a very religious family with very good education and they end up being good practicing Muslim that doesn't necessarily mean this person is more beloved to Allah than someone who is struggling with his deen because he had all the challenges and all the difficulties in life parents were not supportive of her practice of her or his practice of the deen all the challenges that she or she or faced outwardly this person may not be as islamic as the other person but in terms of closeness to Allah it doesn't mean that the person that is more outwardly islamic is closer to Allah than the person that outwardly is not because each one of us have our own unique set of tests and the the person that does the best based on the test that is given to him or her is more beloved to Allah so you may be facing sadness difficulties in life those are the tests that Allah has given you doesn't mean that he doesn't like you he just wants you to call to him more come closer to him pray make dua again clinical depression you need help I'm using the more street meaning of uh, depression here I'm not too sure as to what the consequences of missing fasting in Ramadan can we just repay those outside of Ramadan Rasul said that if you miss one day in Ramadan without a valid reason you can never make up that particular day even if you fast for your entire life in terms of its reward in terms of making up you need to make up that's a religious obligation you need to make up but in terms of reward if it's without any valid reason you cannot make it up for the reward that you have missed even if you fast for your entire life so that is how great fasting in ramadan is looking after sick parents is that a form of ibadah yes that is one of the greatest form of ibadah so much so that when rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam was heading to a battle heading to a war at a time where muslims were weak we needed soldiers a man came to rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam volunteered to be an army rasul sallallahu asked him do you have parents elderly parents he said yes go home look after your elderly parents that is your jihad so looking after elderly parents not only is a good deed it is one of the greatest good deeds that you can do do women have to wear hijab when reading quran no explain tahajjud please tahajjud is prayers that is done at night so anything any prayers that you've done after the prayer of isha sunnah prayers that you've done after isha is considered prayer of tahajjud it is best that you sleep and wake up later but if you can't some people like me if i fall asleep i am a deadlock it's really hard to wake me up from sleep so you can do your tahajjud before you fall asleep but it is better to do it after we have quran downloaded in our phone and this phone goes everywhere with us even to the washroom is it okay yes it is okay as long as you don't open the quran app in the toilet during suhoor when is the final time to stop eating to not eat anymore the time to stop eating is the time of fajr prayer uh, so the time when is fajr uh, this is a bit tricky fajr uh, if you if the thing with living in the city is that there's a lot of light pollution if you go out to the bush uh, you go camping you see this clearly just about when during fajr time if you wake up about an hour and a half before sunrise you will see light in the horizon in the east you will see a like a ray of light coming
from, from that side. So it gets brighter and brighter. So that ray, that's Fajr Sadiq. And when you see that, that's the point when you stop uh, eating. But for most of us, we stop eating when our app tells us to stop eating. And because we're not sure about the accuracy of the app, you've got, you've got housemates who one is using iPhone, another one is using Samsung. The Samsung tells you a different timing, the iPhone tells you a different timing. Which one do you use? Of course you use the iPhone. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you... You give some allowances. So if you see Fajr is 5.05, maybe stop eating at 5 o'clock. Make it safe a little bit. Um, can we do excessive worship until a point you are harmed? Yes, of course. Um, three Sahaba visited Sayyidatuna Aisha and asked Sayyidatuna Aisha about the worship of Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And when on hearing the quality of the prayer and the worship of Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, one of them said that I am going to fast and never break my fast. That means all the year I'm going to fast. Another one said that I am going to pray and stop sleeping. Another one said I am going to pray and I'm not going to marry. And Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said I am the person that has most taqwa. Yet, I fast and I break my fast. I uh, pray and I sleep at night. I pray and I marry. So yes, in moderation, everything in the balance. Uh, this is the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Does the feeling you experience in dhikr correlate with your level of iman? Alright, so now this is a very interesting question. Now, when in, in our spiritual tradition, there are two things that relate to your experience when it comes to ibadah. The first one is called a hal, and the second one is called a maqam. A hal is a feeling, a maqam is a station. Now, a hal can be this feeling of euphoria. You're reading Quran, and suddenly you, 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 you come across an ayah that is so touching that you start crying and you can't stop. Unconsciously, you're, you're crying, really, really crying. So that is a hal because that feeling would fade away. That doesn't have that. That doesn't a hal is not a result of your effort. Neither is it going to stay there. A hal is sometimes a gift from Allah for you to experience a bit of the sweetness of some ibadah. That's like a teaser. You have to work to get to its station. The station of Tawbah, you need to get there by your own effort. So those feeling of euphoria or feeling of real sadness, connection with certain ayah of the Quran that comes and go, those are gifts from Allah. It's like just you know teasers when you go to a restaurant, you go to a restaurant, you wanna you, you can just go to you no know, to the ice cream shop, you can just walk to an, the ice cream shop, say, Can I taste that? They'll just give you a small bit. You try asking, can I have a cup of that? The person will tell you, you have to pay for it. So hal is that small taste. I want to try that vanilla. I want to try that uh, strawberry, dark chocolate or whatever. So that small taste, that's hal, a gift from you. That feeling of euphoria when you're doing ibadah. But to get that, to remain there, you need to work on it. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily relate to your iman. It's just a gift from Allah Azza wa As someone who works in the mines under excessive heat exposure, would fasting be permissible if hydration is needed? Or, or is it not fasting? Be, I think, would not fasting be permissible if hydration is needed? 
if you're working under extreme heat and you have no control over your schedule and if it's endangering and harming yourself you can break your fast for that particular days and you have to make it up uh, some other days uh, so the the, 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 the the conditions are first you have no control over your schedule you've tried to reorganize your schedule you can't second is it is uh, up to a point that it is harmful to yourself harmful to your health then you can break your fast on that day and make it up on some other days can we donate our organ when we die that's a khilaf when it comes to this I think the majority of contemporary scholars say you can donate your organs after you die uh, what advice would you give to someone who does not have Muslim friends to maximize Ramadan uh, first of all best to come get close to either to musalla to masjid and so at least you have some friends to do to do Ramadan together it's quite lonely to do Ramadan when you're the only Muslim if you can get some friends otherwise you still have the option of Zoom uh, sometimes leading up to Ramadan I manage to do a lot of worship however when Ramadan comes I start missing my prayers and it ends up wasted why is this happening now uh, Ibadah Islamic is, it, being a Muslim is a marathon it is not a sprint so pace yourself when it comes to your, 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 your Ibadah try and be consistent it is better that you do a little bit rather than you do a, a little bit and consistent, rather than you do a, a lot and you stop doing it. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam in one hadith, and this hadith is in Bukhari, they said that this deen, this religion is a religion of felicity, uh, yusr, easy. It's, it's an easy religion to practice. And there is, and some, anyone who try and overburden himself in matters of religion, will be overcome by the religion itself so you will fail if you try and do too much in the religion pace yourself now uh, spiritual practice so islam is your spiritual journey your islamic practices is pretty much like going to the gym when you go to the gym you on your first day you don't go and bench press 200 kilos you start with maybe if you've never been to the gym maybe you start with five kilos and then you load it more as you get along it's the same with Islam. It's the same with your spiritual uh, practices. You start with something simple, be consistent with it, and you add more as you, uh, as it becomes easier. Those the, the, those uh, practices becomes easier. You add more. If you feel it's easy, you've been consistent. You feel it's easy, you add more to it. Are we responsible for our adult kids who sin because we brought them here, uh, bringing? children to Australia is not a sin so it's okay you can I think I, I think I understand the question what about as the children leave their dean now the responsibility of parents is to educate the children if you've done your best in education of the children whatever happens happens uh, Prophet Nu has a son that refused to believe in his teaching so a prophet also have rebellious uh, a, a rebellious son so that uh, so that happens. We try our best to teach our children and we make dua that Allah will protect them. If after all the best efforts that we've done, they still turn against the religion, we still maintain that relationship, father-daughter, father-son, mother-son, mother-daughter, that relationship has to be maintained because you do not lose hope in the mercy of Allah. Allah 
can just turn his heart back to the religion, Allah can give him hidayah. And maybe the hidayah can come from the beautiful akhlaq that you maintain with your child, even though they are not good children. Can you adopt children in Islam? This is a very technical fiqh uh, question that I think I cannot answer within two minutes. And if you're in your 20s now, could you dedicate your time and you and could dedicate your time to one thing in terms of Islamic knowledge? Well, that was, if you were in your 20s, if I were in my 20s, that was 20 years ago, uh, and could dedicate your time to one thing in terms of Islamic knowledge, what would it be? I would probably say, um, if you're in your 20s, I'll say probably Arabic language. If you've done your fardain, you're Arabic. How do you accept the test that Allah put on you, especially one test after another? Never lose hope in the mercy of Allah. Make dua, be closer to Him. The harder the test, the closer you be with Him. And it is important that you know you've, you surround yourself with good people because your state is infectious to others. If you've got friends who are... Uh, who, who, who are motivated in the deen then you will become motivated as well the Prophet وسلم, and this is the last question the Prophet وسلم, said that if you make friends with a, a seller of perfume even if you don't get free perfume you at least get to smell the fragrance of the perfume if you make friends with a blacksmith you may not be harmed by the fire but you can still feel the heat from his work so choose your, fri- your friends um, wisely Wallahu a'lam. Um, my final note here is um, I would humbly request dua from all of you. Um, as Arthur just now mentioned, that myself and a few others, we run an Islamic center called Qaswa. Um, we started in late 2018. We have outgrown our current space so much that we are actively looking for a new space if you can move within the next couple of months we'll be very very happy we are looking for a space i'm not asking for donation i'm asking for dua please uh, remember this in your dua thank you very much for your attention assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh